darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize y'all's neighborhood. And whosoever shall be found without the soul for getting down must stand and face the hounds of hell and rot inside a corpse's shell. The foulest stench is in the air, the funk of 40,000 years, and grisly ghouls from every tomb are closing in to seal your doom. And though you fight to stay alive, your body starts to shiver, for no mere mortal can resist the evil of the thriller. Obviously, those are the outro lyrics to Michael Jackson's hit song, Thriller. And I really needed Vincent Price to read them. And I wish I could have done his maniacal laugh at the end, but I couldn't. I wasn't going to try it. But what we're going to encounter in Mark's gospel today is nothing short of what Michael Jackson captured in his video for his hit song, Thriller. If you're familiar with the video, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. The video for Thriller is filled with a bunch of creepy zombies who come walking out of a graveyard. And Mark chapter 5 is kind of like the Thriller video, minus the dancing zombies. So turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. We're going to see darkness across the land. We're going to see a man crawl in search of blood who has been terrorizing his neighborhood. A grisly ghoul from among the tombs will close in to seal the doom of the disciples. And their bodies, I'm sure, will begin to shiver as they face the evil of the thriller. We're going into a cemetery where the main players are Jesus a naked lunatic, 5,000 plus demons, and 2,000 unsuspecting pigs. And some people think the Bible is boring. Really? You have Jesus, the eternal Son of God, in a cemetery at night with his disciples. He'll be confronted by a naked lunatic who has 5,000 plus demons living inside of him. And next door is a pig farm where there are 2,000 unsuspecting pigs. You can't make this stuff up. And it's in this crazy setting that we will be reminded of this truth. Jesus loves you with a wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That phrase, of course, comes from the Jesus Storybook Bible written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. She said this about writing it. That's why I wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible. So children could know what I didn't. That the Bible isn't mainly about me and what I should be doing. It's about God and what He has done. That the Bible is largely, though not only, a great story. The greatest story of all. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. That, in spite of everything, no matter what, whatever it cost him, God won't ever stop loving his children with a wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. 
that the Bible, in short, has a marvelous, coherent storyline. It's not just a collection of rules and that there is only one hero in the story. I wrote so children could meet the hero in its pages and become part of his magnificent story because rules don't change you. But a story, God's story, by the power of his spirit, can. And it's in the darkness of a cemetery, surrounded by a crazy naked man with 2,000 stinky pigs nearby. The disciples are going to learn again that Jesus loves his people with a wonderful, never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And a crazy, demon-possessed man who has made an absolute mess and a total wreck of his life, he will learn this too. And when we make a mess of our lives, Jesus doesn't come and scold us. He doesn't come with a set of rules. He comes to rescue us because he's gentle. He's merciful. Mark is telling us that Jesus delights to show mercy, that it thrills his heart. Jesus loves to have compassion, show compassion and heal people. He is tender when we come to him having made a wreck of our lives. His love pursues us in our mess, pursues us in our sin. And that's the idea that we'll see in our passage today. Jesus will show mercy and compassion and kindness to a demon-possessed man. Why? Because Jesus loves to be gentle with bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. Jesus loves being kind and tender with people who have made a total mess of their lives. And the disciples are about to learn this. Of course, I really wish Vincent Price could read our passage today because that would be very cool. But since he can't, y'all have got to be okay with me. So look at Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So this is just like the setting to a horror movie from the 1980s. You can almost hear a John Carpenter soundtrack here with his infamous synthesizer. So picture a fog settling over the Sea of Galilee. And remember, Jesus had just calmed a massive storm. We saw that last week. And now it's very peaceful. Now it's quiet. Perhaps a fog is moving in. And to understand the magnitude of this narrative, we must understand just how scared the disciples must have been. Jesus just calmed the chaotic waters of the Sea of Galilee. 
And when the disciples finally gather their wits, they look up and see that they are headed straight for Gentile territory at night. Remember, the Jews and the Gentiles hated each other. They would never associate with one another. And now we have a boat full of Jews and their rabbi headed straight into Gentile territory. But it's not just Gentile territory. They're headed to a cemetery at night. This is like a horror movie. Cue the fog machine. Cue the eerie and creepy synthesizer. Pan the camera back and get a shot of the graveyard. Jesus and the disciples are headed straight for a cemetery. Cemeteries back then were often associated with demons, and this is exactly what they will encounter in Mark chapter 5. And when the disciples and Jesus get out of the boat, this crazy guy who's not wearing any clothes runs up to them. I have to assume that he's not mellow and relaxed. This guy is crazy. I don't think he shows up because he's not wearing any clothes like he came from Woodstock. And he's like, hey, peace, man. I picture him. He's, he's crazy. He's lost his mind. And he runs up to Jesus. Mark tells us that this crazy man lived among the tombs in this cemetery. He tells us that no one could control him, not even with chains, because this guy would break them. And then they try to shackle him, and he would break loose and and then break the shackles into pieces, and he would run around naked. No one could subdue this guy. Why? Well, we'll find out in a few verses the reason why. Because he had 5,000 plus demons living inside of him. That's why he couldn't be contained. So he would walk around with no clothes on, screaming, yelling, cutting himself with rocks, blood running down his body, dirty, smelly, and very, very crazy. So picture this man screaming, running around naked, blood dripping from his body because he's been cutting himself. And now picture the disciples pulling up to the shore. I'm going to assume that they are scared. Uh, Jesus, uh, Rabbi, are you sure this is where you want to go? I think the GPS took us off course. Uh, This place looks a little, oh wow, there's a naked guy. There's a naked guy. Oh, he's coming toward us. What's he covered with? Is that blood? It's blood. It's blood. Jesus, put the boat in reverse. Put the boat in reverse. That's how I picture the disciples showing up. And then picture Jesus, totally unafraid getting out of the boat and walking straight towards this guy, right into his home, into his living room, which happens to be a graveyard. To a Jew reading Mark's gospel, this passage reeks of unclean things. First, it takes place in the country of the Gerasenes, Gadara, which was on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. This whole region was called the Decapolis because it consisted of ten cities. The Greek word deca means ten and polis means city. So Decapolis means ten cities. And the Decapolis was a loose term for this Gentile area here. It was prime real estate for Greek and Hellenistic pagan activities. No upstanding Jewish rabbi would ever go there. And yet Jesus and his disciples drive their boat to this area intentionally. Second, Jesus and his disciples walk into a cemetery, which also happens to have a pig farm next door. I don't know if you've ever been around a pig farm, but you can smell it coming far away. 
The Old Testament, of course, tells us that contact with a dead body would make you unclean, Numbers 19. And we know that pigs were considered unclean to Jews. And yet, where does Jesus lead the disciples? Into a Gentile cemetery, which was located right next to a pig farm. You couldn't get any more unclean than this place. The Roman armies also camped out in this area, and they most likely got their meals from these pigs. So Jesus meets a crazy naked man with unclean spirits living inside of him. He happens to be living in a graveyard surrounded by unclean, filthy Gentiles right next to a pig farm. The setting of this story could not get more shocking unless Jesus ate some bacon with the demon-possessed man while playing a game of cards with the Roman soldiers while sitting on top of a gravestone. You can't get any more unclean than this place. And so as they get out of the boat, the crazy man, the demoniac, runs toward Jesus. Look at verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So as soon as Jesus gets out of the boat, this man takes off toward him, and he falls down before Jesus and begs to be left alone. But remember, Jesus is on a mission. His love has led him here. His never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love has led him here to this man. So Jesus will have none of it. He came here to set this man free, and that's exactly what he's going to do. Jesus then asks the demon living inside the man what its name is, and the demon responds, Legion. Now, a legion was the largest troop unit in the Roman army, which consisted of about 5,600 soldiers. So there's 5,600 demons living inside of this man. Some scholars say a legion was up to 6,000. So if you want to throw another 400 demons in there at this point, what's another 400? And these demons beg Jesus not to be sent out of the country. Why? Because this area was an evil place. Cemeteries were associated with the demonic, with the spiritual realm. So there's this dark spiritual presence here. And the demons didn't want to leave. And so they begged Jesus to be sent into the herd of pigs that were nearby. And then out and off they go. And when the demons enter the pigs, they cause them to run off a nearby cliff and straight into the ocean. That's a lot of wasted bacon, isn't it? We should pause here and grieve the loss of all that sausage and bacon and ham. This is probably when the bacon craze hit, you know, where people just start putting bacon on everything, wrapping everything in bacon, because I imagine them saying, gather those pigs as many as you can before they go bad, and let's start cooking it all up. Put it on any kind of food you want. And somebody says, how about steak? Great, bacon-wrapped steak, let's do it. And then somebody comes up and says, I've got a maple donut. Put some bacon on top of that and people will love it. 
crunch up the rest of the bacon and put it in a jar and we'll sell it as something called bacon bits and people can put it on their salads. So I think there's just this waste of bacon. And how did the pig farmers respond to losing everything? Look at verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid and those who had seen it described it to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region and as Jesus was getting into the boat the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him and he did not permit him but said to him go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So word began spreading, and people came to the graveyard, and what do they find? Mark tells us that they found that man that everybody knew. He was sitting there, he was clothed, and he was in his right mind. And when they see this man sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind, they freak out. How in the world is this possible? And eyewitnesses start telling everybody what Jesus did, and it's too much for them. They've heard enough, and they want Jesus to leave. They start begging Jesus to leave. And as Jesus is getting in the boat, the former crazy man is now the one who's begging. And he begs Jesus to let him go with him. The former demoniac just wants to be with Jesus now. T.J. Timms recently tweeted this. Real Christianity summed up in less than one verse. The man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might be with Jesus. Mark 5.18. That's real Christianity. You have been merciful to me, a sinner. Now I just want to be with you, Jesus. The word mercy that Mark uses here has the idea of compassion and sympathy. It's, it's to love someone tenderly. So Jesus was moved with compassion and he loved with his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. He loved this crazy, messed up man with such tenderness. Let me ask you, has his mercy reached down and saved you? Has Jesus been kind and gentle and tender with you? Why not go tell people what the Lord has done for you? That's exactly what Jesus tells the demoniac. Go and tell your friends what the Lord has done for you and how he has been merciful to you, how he has loved you tenderly. Go and tell them how merciful and kind Jesus is. Let me ask you, is that in your gospel presentation? Jesus is kind and gentle and tender. Or do you portray him with a scowl on his face? Now notice that Jesus wants this man to go tell others what he just did. Because this is a Gentile area. Jesus is not trying to keep his identity a secret. The Gentiles in this area had no false expectations for the Messiah, so Jesus actually wants his reputation to start spreading throughout this Gentile area. He's not only the Savior of the Jews, but Gentiles as well. And so the man wants to go with Jesus, but Jesus 
says no. And he tells the man to go into town and broadcast what has happened. Verse 19, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. Think about it. This guy has a pretty cool testimony. I was a crazy man running around with no clothes on, breaking chains apart, picking up rocks and cutting gashes in my skin, and I was full of 5,600 demons, give or take 400 more. And then I met Jesus, and he cast all of the demons out of me, and he sent them into 2,000 unsuspecting pigs. And then get this, the pigs ran off a cliff and drowned. It was crazy. Jesus made me whole. He made me new. I came alive. I'm forgiven. He had mercy on me. And then all I wanted to do was to be with him, to be with Jesus. That's a pretty cool testimony, isn't it? But you know what? The details may be a little bit different, but your testimony and mine is just like the demoniacs. All of us were lost. We were dead in sin. We were dead in the cemetery of Adam's sin, and Jesus made us alive and clothed us with his righteousness. That's a cool testimony. You don't have to have a crazy past or have been full of demons or have been addicted to drugs to have a cool testimony. You have one, Christian. You have a cool testimony. You were dead. And Jesus made you alive. He regenerated you when you heard the gospel. By the power of the Spirit, He regenerated you. You came alive and then you were enabled to repent and turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. You were dead. And He came and made you alive. You were spiritually dead and He made you alive. You were dead in the grave of Adam's sin, rotting in a cemetery And then Jesus showed up and he ripped open the casket and he made you alive. He made you whole. And now all you want to do is be with Jesus because you've never met a more compassionate, tender, caring, and kind person. Can you say that today? Then that's a very cool testimony. Listen, Christian, you don't have a boring testimony if you just grew up in church and trusted in Jesus. You were dead and now you're alive. We struggle with conversation starters to share the gospel. Just go up to someone and say, I used to be dead and I came to life. That'll start a conversation. I'll take a grande caramel macchiato and did you know I used to be dead? Try that next time at Starbucks. People, what? There you go. Now you tell them about Jesus. I was dead. And this tender and compassionate and caring and kind man came and made me alive. You were God's enemy. And now you're his son. It doesn't matter if you were hooked on crack. It doesn't matter if you worked the streets at night as a prostitute. Or even if you've just been in church your whole life. Everyone is born dead in sin. And if you are a Christian, then that means Jesus ripped open your coffin and breathed life into your corpse and made you alive. That's a cool testimony, y'all. That's something to go spread around. How you were dead in sin and Jesus saved you. And how even since then, you've made a mess of your life and he's still tender and kind with you. But I think there's something else we need to think about 
Mark tells us in verse 18 that the demoniac begged Jesus that he could go with him. He's so overwhelmed with what Jesus has done for him. He just wants to be with Jesus. But notice that this man was actually turned down by Jesus. Think about that. Look at verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. To me, this is one of the saddest passages in the Bible. This man was a mess before Jesus showed up. Ran around naked, was bruised, bleeding, isolated. He's destructive, destroying everything in his path. No one wanted to be around this guy. Oh, and he also had 5,000 plus demons living inside of him. And Jesus, the most tender and compassionate man to ever live, had mercy on him and set him free. And now all he wants to do is be with Jesus. Can you blame him? Picture him begging Jesus, please let me go with you. Please, please, please. I owe you my life. You set me free. There's nowhere else I would rather be. Please, please, please let me go with you. He's begging. But did you notice that Mark tells us three times in this passage that people beg Jesus for something? The demons beg Jesus to be sent into the pigs, and their wish is granted, verse 12. The people in this area beg Jesus to leave, and he grants their wish because he's getting back into the boat in verse 17. And then there's the demoniac who begs Jesus that he might go be with him, And in verse 18, Jesus says, no. Oh, I feel so sorry for this guy. My heart breaks. This is one of the saddest passages in the Bible for me because I can relate to this guy. Jesus denies him. His request, his prayer is denied. He's turned down by the most caring and tender man in the entire universe. Let that sink in. He asked Jesus for something, which was not a very big deal in my opinion, and yet Jesus turned him down. He denied his request. Understand this, Grace. Sometimes God may say no to us, and it might even be a good thing that we're asking him for. For this guy, he just wanted to be with Jesus. Being with Jesus is a good thing, Following Jesus around is a good thing. That's all this guy wanted. And yet Jesus says, no, go home. I think it's important to stop and think about this because in my experience, there are many times when God's children ask him for something and the answer is no. Sometimes we might ask God for a good thing and in his wisdom, he might turn us down. Jesus himself asked his father in the Garden of Gethsemane if there was any other way to bring about the salvation of sinners. Is there any other way besides going to the cross? And Jesus got a no. Please understand that Jesus knows what it is like to pray and ask God for something and be turned down. What an understanding and sympathetic high priest we have in Jesus. He knows what it is like. The demoniac was turned down, and yet a few short years from this very moment, Jesus will be turned down by his father in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
it's important to understand two things here. Number one, pray. Ask God for things. Plead. Pray. Don't stop praying. Don't stop and think, should I be asking my father for this? Should I not? Just ask him for whatever you want. Be like a kid. Be like children. They just ask for things. They don't care if they should have it or not. They just say, can I have? Just ask for things. Pray. But the second thing, understand that sometimes the answer will be no. In these moments, when you sense the answer is no, or that God seems to be moving in another direction, you can trust Him because He knows what is best. Trust me, He is wiser and smarter than you. He's wiser and smarter than me, and yet we think we know what's best for our lives, don't we? He may be shutting a door or not allowing it to be opened, but it's all for your good. He has your best in mind. In these moments, you have to trust. There's mercy available for those who feel that a door is closing or not opening as you wish. Understand this. When God doesn't give us what we want, He wants to give us Himself. When God doesn't give us what we want, He wants to give us Himself. The moments in the desert, the times when it seems like God is silent, when it seems like God is nowhere to be found, those are the times when God is inviting us to Himself. He says no to what we want so we can get what we really need, namely, more of Himself. When Jesus says no, He is still loving us. When Jesus says no, this is still true. Jesus loves you with a wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. When God is not answering you, that doesn't mean that his love has dried up. When it seems like he is not listening, press in. Don't stop praying. That's the last thing you need to do. Keep pouring your heart out to him. That's how you get more of Jesus. The demoniac, though turned away, could still experience more of Jesus by simply talking about him, by remembering what he had done for him. Mark tells us how he responded when denied by Jesus in verse 20. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. The demoniac had two choices after he was denied by Jesus. Either become cynical or hopeful. Those are the two options that we have when God is not answering or not moving the way we wish. We can be cynical or we can be hopeful. Paul Miller describes what this is like when we are disappointed with God. We have two choices, two ways to live. He says... When we don't receive what we pray for or desire, it doesn't mean that God isn't acting on our behalf. Rather, He's weaving His story. When God seems silent and our prayers go unanswered, the overwhelming temptation is to leave the story, to walk out of the desert and attempt to create a normal life. But when we persist in a spiritual vacuum, when we hang in there during ambiguity, we get to know God. In fact, that is how intimacy grows in all close relationships. If we don't get passionate with God in the face of disappointment, then cynicism slips in. 
and our hearts begin to harden. We begin a living death. This chart summarizes two approaches to a praying life. And so Paul Miller lays out the two approaches, whether or not you realize you're in God's story or God's not writing the story of your life. We have two options, two ways to live when we're disappointed with God, when he doesn't seem to be answering our prayers We can begin to imagine that Jesus is not tender, that Jesus is not kind, that Jesus is not merciful, that Jesus doesn't care. We can start living like God is not writing the story of our lives. And when we live like God is not writing our story, then we become bitter and we become angry and we become aimless and we become cynical and we become controlling and we become hopeless and thankless and we blame God and we blame others. Does this describe you today? You know what it's like to live like this? It's like living in a cemetery, isolated, bruised, and chained up. It's a living death, actually. There's no freedom here. It's just bondage. It's the living dead. And it's exactly what the devil wants for your life. He wants you to be bitter. He wants you to be angry. He wants you to feel like life is aimless. The devil wants you to become cynical, to become controlling, and to feel hopeless. He doesn't want you to give thanks for what the Lord has done for you. He wants you to begin blaming God and blaming others for all of your problems. That's option one. It's a living death. Or we could go the route that it appears that the demoniac went. He lived as if God was writing the story of his life. This led him to to wait on God, to watch and to see where God was working in his life. I think he lived with a sense of wonder, like, I wonder what God is up to. I'm excited to see what he is going to do in this situation. He told me I couldn't go with him. i got to know. But he said, go home and tell people what I've done for you. I'm excited to see what story he's writing here. I wanted this story. And he said, this way is better. So there was excitement. Wonder. What's God up to? So he prayed and talked with God. He submitted to Jesus. He was hopeful. He was thankful. I think he repented. Option two is the way of Jesus, the way of grace. Resting in how Jesus is writing the story of our lives, that's what brings freedom. Option number one is a living death. It's existing as a zombie. It's making your home in the dark, making your home in a cemetery where you're isolated, you're angry all the time, you're destroying everyone and destroying everything and destroying every relationship in your life. When we become cynical, when we become bitter and harbor bitterness, we become like the demoniac before he met Jesus, and we start destroying everyone and everything in our path. We start destroying all of our relationships because we're cynical, because we're bitter, we're angry. If you're here today and option number one describes you and you've been going through life like there is no story Jesus wants to set you free today. He wants to bind up your wounds and make you whole. He wants you to trust in his wisdom and how he is writing the story of your life. Jesus delights to be merciful to people who've made a total mess of their lives. And maybe you've made a mess of your life and a mess with your family and a mess with relationships in your life. 
because you've been angry and cynical and bitter. And Jesus is here today, and he says, I delight to be merciful who've totally, merciful to people who've totally ruined their lives. He loves to shower us with mercy so that we're sitting down clothed and in our right mind. Let him restore you today. Let him heal you right now. Let him calm the storm that has been raging inside you and feel his tender, warm embrace today. Look into his eyes and see the incredible compassion that he has for you. Yeah, you've made a mess of your life. You've destroyed a lot of relationships. You've lived in destructive patterns, but Jesus will have you. You know, when we live this way with option number one, where we're destroying everyone and everything and every relationship in our path, people begin to say, I don't want to be around that person. They're a mess. They've made a wreck of everything. They're bitter. They're angry. They're cynical. They're destroying everything. People don't want to be around those people. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus will have you. He won't run from you. He wants to come and change you and transform you and heal you. If you've made a mess of your life in any way, come home to Jesus today. Maybe you're just cynical all the time. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you feel like life is hopeless. Maybe you're angry about how life has played out for you. Maybe you're blaming everyone in your life. Maybe you have totally screwed up your life and it feels hopeless and pointless. Jesus will have you. He can heal you right now. Jesus will have you. Why? Because he delights in mercy. Micah 7 says. He delights in mercy. Why does Jesus delight in mercy? Because it's just who he is. It's just what he does. It brings him pleasure. When you are so overwhelmed that Jesus is kind and merciful and he's been tender with you and you give thanks for his mercy, Jesus says, my pleasure. He could work at Chick-fil-A. Jesus is used to saying, my pleasure to sinners. He loves forgiving us. He delights in it. Jesus loves everybody, Mark is telling us. High society, bottom of the social ladder, Jew, Gentile, demon-possessed, if you're a cutter, if you're crazy and you've lost your mind. And it's his wonderful, never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love that we see here in this cemetery in Mark chapter 5. Back to chapter 4, Jesus taught all day. He was exhausted. He fell asleep in the boat. He traveled by night through a storm to do what? To set this man free. That is wonderful. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. An unclean Gentile by Jewish standards and by Gentile standards. He was naked and covered in blood. An unclean Gentile with unclean spirits living inside of him who was naked, who was a cutter, covered with blood, fresh and dry blood, and all bruised up. This man received mercy and compassion from Jesus. And that means that Jesus is comfortable around our mess and our brokenness. He doesn't run away. He comes to clean us up and to transform us, to make us new. And that's hope for you and your messed up family.
And that's hope for this messed up church. All we got to do is fall on our knees. And that's what the table before us is all about today. We're celebrating communion. And the Lord's Supper is all about how Jesus became like that man in the cemetery. He was naked and bleeding all over the place for us on the cross. And he went into the tomb, into the cemetery, into the grave. And he came out alive. Will you run to him and fall on your knees and beg for mercy? If you do, he will grant it. And he will make you new so that spiritually speaking, you can be clothed and in your right mind. Clothed with his righteousness and having the mind of Christ. Jared Wilson says, In the end, as in the beginning, it is not our good intentions or even our good deeds that will get us out of the muck of ourselves. It is God's rescuing hand. It is his enduring announcement over us messed up creatures. I love you that changes everything. And that's what this table before us today is all about. The bread and the cup are proof that Jesus loves us. They're proof that Jesus loves you with a wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. I was reading Puritan Richard Sibbs last night and came across this quote. He says, Therefore, let none be discouraged, but fly presently to the God of comfort and Father of mercies, And think not that he is weary of pardoning as man is, for he is infinite in mercy. And though he be the party offended, yet he desires peace with us. Don't be discouraged today, but fly to the God of comfort and Father of mercies. He never tires of forgiving us. We get tired of forgiving people, don't we? Again, for the same thing, He never tires of forgiveness because he is infinite in mercy. He is the offended party. He's the offended party because we're sinners. And yet he says, I want peace with you. Come to me and I will forgive. And this is where we celebrate that peace. God is the offended party because of our sin, but he desires peace with us because he delights in steadfast love. Let's pray. Father, my prayer before we celebrate your great love for us is very simple. Jesus, have mercy on us, for we are sinners. In Jesus' name.